So the reading this morning um, is from Genesis, and we're starting at chapter 31, um, verse 1. And that can be found on page 33 in the Red Bibles. And we do have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and the page numbers for those are on the screen. So Genesis 31, starting to read at verse 1. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. And then we're going to continue from verse 17. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the river Euphrates, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. And then skipping ahead again to verse 25. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban took over him, when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so that I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps? You didn't even let let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you, but last night the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's household. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two female servants, but he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and had put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent, but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, "'Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period.' So he searched but could not find the household gods. Jacob was angry and took Laban to ask, What is my crime? he asked Laban. How have I wronged you that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. 
and you demanded payment from, from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks uh, very much, Joe, for reading that. Um, we're going to take a look at it, so uh, do keep your Bibles open. Let's uh, pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us now to see and understand you better. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, I appreciate not all of you may have been, but if you were with us last week, um, uh, we've been having these readings just like that one. Last week, you might remember, was the um, story of uh, Rachel and Leah in particular and the birth of all the children. Um, and if you were here last week, you'll have remembered prob- probably that there was this moment in which the reading was given, and we normally say, this is the word of the Lord, and everybody responds, thanks be to God. And if you were here, you'll have, you'll have noticed um, it was audibly quiet. Uh, we had a reading, and there was a kind of murmur, thanks be to God. We really weren't sure. It was a strange reading. We, took, we looked at it together. Um, and in lots of ways, as we've been through this series and we've looked at this, some of you may have discovered things that you did not think were in the Bible. And that phrase, uh, thanks be to God, may well capture your experience of the Christian life. That kind of questioning, I, th- I think, I think so. I, I think we can say thanks be to God, I'm not sure. Do you know what you're doing, Lord? Our passage today is the next part of our, our, our um, story as it unfolds. I think it helps us. Um, I think it helps us see that that is part of the experience of the Christian life. Let me uh, try and explain and show you. Um, let's. Uh, we're going to look through this. I had those just those early verses read because they just set up the story, and then you'll have seen that there's this long section um, uh, in the middle that we'll look at. We'll look at it just under three parts. Um, and the first of them is really about uh, the, the story. Um, and as Sarah mentioned earlier, uh, he's coming home. Jacob is on his way home. Those early verses just set that up for us. Um, uh, there's some background. Uh, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. He has become wealthy. We haven't had uh, time to look at chapter 30, but you might want to read that. He becomes very wealthy. Uh, he's been there a while. He's been looking uh, at gaining in uh, livestock, uh, but it has caused a breakdown in the family. Um, verse 2, Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Um, the phrase that's used there is that Jacob's face was no longer with him. If you are from a, perhaps a more Middle Eastern or Asian context, the idea of somebody's face being with you, uh, that they're, or losing face with somebody, there is a social breakdown. Things have become very difficult between Laban uh, and Jacob. His face was no longer with him. 
Um, and then the Lord intervenes in verse 3 and says, it's time to go home. It's time to go home. Go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. It is time now to make your way back. He's coming home. So jumping down to verse 17, that is what he does. Jacob puts his children and his wives on uh, camels. Uh, The intervening verses are where he talks with Leah and Rachel, and they sort of agree to go. He drives his livestock ahead of him uh, with all the goods he'd accumulated to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan, the promised land. So in lots of ways, what's happening here, as Sarah was describing earlier, the promises of God, which we've seen at various points, that God was creating a people, uh, that he was going to give them a place, and he was going to bless them. They are, the story is moving on. One way or another, he now has this growing people. These, this family has grown. It's no longer just one child. It's 12 children. He is on his way back to this place, this land of Canaan. So he's kind of moving in the right direction. And he has even now begun to gain in wealth. It is a way of blessing uh, him. Uh, And he has that. So you might sort of put a tick by those. They are starting to um, emerge. But there are two little details that we're told, which are very, very important for the rest, as you'll have noticed. In verse 19, uh, Rachel steals her father's household gods. These would have been little statues, um, a number of them perhaps. Why does she do it? We don't entirely know. They were probably for protection and blessing. So maybe she's still hedging her bets. I talked to you about she has more of a pagan background, not necessarily a believing background. She's, She's stolen them, perhaps to think, well, I'll hedge my bets. I'll bring those along too. And secondly... Jacob does this without telling Laban what he is doing. He actually does it when Laban's off shearing sheep, so he would have been a few miles away. Jacob thinks, great, this is my moment. We'll pack up, we'll go. Do you see, we're told he deceives Laban by not telling him he was running away. And we're told these two details for reasons that will become clear. But do you see, the opening to this is that what looks like on the surface God's promises and his plans are starting to move in the right direction. Okay. How God's plans nearly go uh, wrong is the subject of this next, the, the most part of this story. And what I want to underline is just the sheer number of ways in which it looks like God's promises and plans can go awry and can go wrong. Uh, I think there are three Uh, ways in which it can happen, uh, which we see, um, and I'll just take you through them. Uh, The first of which is the presence of just a powerful bully in Jacob's life. Verse 25, Jacob pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban, who has obviously figured this out, gathered all his uh, his, um, uh, uh, folk, men, and, and brought them to hunt him down. Laban and his relatives camped there too, and Laban arrives on the scene and says, what have you done? You've deceived me. Now, do you know, I have an actual picture of the moment that Laban uh, arrives and hunts down uh, Jacob. Um, um, I don't know if you saw, this was the wildlife photographer of the year this week. But that is it. That is the, this is, this is, it captures something quite you know, nice. That is the moment, if you like. Laban has arrived with his with his forces, uh, to hunt down J- 
Jacob, Jacob, you don't get away from me. I don't know what you think you're doing, but you don't get away from me. His language, actually, it's really um, aggressive. Um, It is full of uh, sort of saber rattling and war language. You've carried off uh, like like you would slaves, my daughters, like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Um, This has got some front. Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing Um, to the music of timbrels and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You've done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. I think you have to imagine Laban is much more of a mafia boss figure. I have the power to harm you. I would have sent you away, of course. You have the threats to uh, Jacob. And it's only God's intervention. Uh, He's had a dream where God has said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. But why have you stolen my gods? He's got something on uh, Jacob. Why have you stolen my gods? And Jacob says, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. And there is simply this, this Laban is a powerful bully and presence in Jacob's life. Be under no illusions. He has no intention of letting them go. His language is full of aggression uh, and saber-rattling. But it's not only the presence of this bully that could have kind of stopped Laban from, uh, Jacob from getting home. Um, it's also, it's also uh, the mistakes and lies that come back to haunt them. So I mentioned Rachel and what she had done. Um, verse uh, 32, If you find anyone who has your gods, says Jacob, that person shall not live. And we're watching this going, oh, don't say that. Um, uh, you know, and, and I tell you what, Laban, you bring it out. If you find the gods, you bring them out here. And, you know, that person won't live. And, and you can all be the judge. And Jacob doesn't know that Rachel's stolen the gods. And the way the, way the story unfolds, you get that, you know, if you were filming this, the drama of it. You imagine, so of course, where does he go first? He goes to Jacob's tent, and he kind of, you imagine he rummages through, turns the place upside down, but doesn't find anything. So of course, he goes to Leah's tent, um, and, and, you know, does the same thing, turns the place upside down, um, has his folk go in to the maidservants, so that's Zilpah and Bilhah, do you remember them? And he turns the place upside down, starts rummaging through there, and somewhere over there, Rachel's thinking, he is coming he is coming, he is coming. And so he does. And he goes into Rachel's tent and he doesn't find anything as he searches it. And Rachel then says, don't be angry, my Lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. She has hidden these gods uh, in the saddle of her camel. Don't be angry, my Lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. Many years ago, there was a sort of fury about the use of the word period in, in American television in some way, when it had first been used. Um, and there was a you know, whole to do. And here it is in the Bible, in the opening book of the Bible. If anything, if it at least says to you, oh, maybe the Bible isn't quite what I thought it was, that may be a useful thing for you to think of. And here he is. He's searching these tents. Now, I don't know what you make of this. Um, do you think she's lying? Should she have? Uh, should he have checked? But he decides not to. Gosh, we're all feeling a little awkward, aren't we? <laughs> See, the Bible gets under your skin. 
Why is that? Here are, so there's this powerful bully. There's the mistake, the, 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 the stealing the gods. It has caused this horribly awkward situation. And we're wondering, is it all about to unravel because of what she's done? Is she going to bring it all down? And then he'll drag them all back. And then lastly, on the back of this, the third of these is, I call this thin ice. Do you, you might know the phrase, uh, if you're on thin ice, if you're on thin ice, you, you, just, you are in real danger. You don't realize quite what you're, what you're standing on does not have as much foundation. So um, Jacob being Jacob, sort of then when they, they don't find anything, launches into this angry uh, uh, um, uh, speech, a kind of right, righteous speech. He takes him to task. What is my crime? Um, how have I wronged you? You hunt me down. Um, you searched all my goods. What have you found? You know, if you found it, put it here and we'll all be the judge. And then he sort of, you know, kind of unpacks this a bit further. Because you know when you're really, really cross with somebody and then you're like, and there's a few other things that I want to talk about. And so, it, you know, it goes a bit further. I've been with you for 20 years. 20 years I've been here, and there was 14 that I worked for you, and then there was this other six, that's the 20, and I bore the loss when I was working, and it was, you know, we, we, we lost animals and livestock, and I bore the loss, um, and you wanted payment from me, and it was hot in the day, and it was cold at night, and I couldn't sleep. And I just want to tell you about all of these things that are on my mind. And you changed my wages ten times, and I'm really very cross with you. And the whole thing could have unraveled before him if they had found the gods that Rachel had stolen. He is on thin ice. And he doesn't realize it. And, you know, people, there was a phrase, there was a politician a number of years ago who used the idea of, um, there, were, there were known unknowns and there were unknown unknowns. Do you remember this? Uh, unknown unknowns, the things you don't even realize you don't know. And there he is giving this kind of righteous, angry speech, and he doesn't even realize how thin the ice is that he is on. Now, what is, why are we seeing this? Do you see the number of different ways this could have unraveled? It could have gone wrong. Uh, both things that have happened to them as Laban, like this bully, comes in, uh, as things that they have done themselves put everything in jeopardy. And as we stand back from this, I think what we're supposed to see this morning, what we're supposed to see as we've been working through this, is yet to have a confidence in God's ways. To, To be realistic but to have a confidence in God's ways. Let me um, try and unpack and explain. If you imagine, just for a moment, think. It, we, we've got our um, pathfinders uh, here this morning, which is great. Lovely to have you guys. If you were a pathfinder, I say you were a Jewish pathfinder, back many centuries ago, and you said to your mum or your dad, you know, tell, would you tell me, this, tell me that story again of Jacob and Laban and what happened? And imagine you were a parent and you told, you told the story of what it was like as, as they tried to get away and then Laban comes up like that great fox and uh, tries to sort of drag them back and it was really, you know, really uh, got close with Rachel because she'd stolen the gods and you're sort of, wa- you're watching on the edge of your seat, aren't you? You're thinking, are they going to get found out? Now, if you were, if you were reading that, uh, if you were hearing that story, you would easily say, wouldn't you, it could have gone wrong in so many ways. Isn't it remarkable that somehow God enabled them to get where he wanted them to be? 
Isn't it remarkable, despite that, that God enabled them to get where he wants to be? And there's two things, I think, that we can kind of need to tease out and to hold together and intention. And one is that God's promises often feel precarious. God's promises often feel precarious. God's promises, we've, uh, we've spoken about them as we've gone through this term. They can, they can even feel like they are, I don't know, distant or lost almost, like you've lost sight of them. In the midst of all of this, with Laban coming in from outside, with, with what Rachel has done, you think, I, I'm not even sure where we are. They can often feel precarious. And I guess to see how potent some of these um, three things are, these, uh, these three things here in particular, powerful bullies, people who seem to exert an extraordinary influence, or mistakes that we have made or repeatedly make, or even just the the thin ice that we are on, that, that we are, we know we are talking a better game than we are really living. These are potent things. And for some of us, and some of us even here this morning, they will be the lens through which we see everything else. That it's actually quite hard to get away from. You, you, the, uh, the way in which you view much of what is going on in life the way in which you try and understand God is through the lens of one of these things, or perhaps a, a mix of them. That they are very large to us. And so God's promises and plans can feel very precarious. And in the, the, sort of, the, the twists and the turns of life are very hard to make sense of. It's hard to know what God is doing. We can, we can look at it and think, I, that phrase, you know, thanks be to God, I don't know. Lord, I'm trying to make sense of this. We don't know everyone's motives. Uh, if we're honest, sometimes we don't even know our own motives. If you're, if you're Rachel in the middle of that story, did you know exactly why you did all of those things? don't know. But if that's the first thing that we need to hold together, the second is that yet God is working behind the scenes. So that God's promises can often feel precarious, but God is working behind the scenes, and to hold these things together. Now, verse 42, which we haven't looked at, let me just read it to you. If the God of my father, says Jacob, this is when he's, he's kind of rounding out his speech. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac, had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you, referring to the dream that um, he had. Now, let me just walk this through carefully. I said that this speech, Jacob is on thin ice. So he, I think he is just beginning to glimpse how God works. I think we'll see a little bit more of it um, in the next week. Uh, I said the story sort of has, a, has bottomed out last week, and was ju- we're just starting to, we're seeing a little bit of progress in, in Jacob spiritually. So I don't want to kind of set, this, uh, set too much store by this, and nor do I want to say, oh, so we're all, we're all Jacob as well. Yeah, we're, we're not Jacob in that sense. So it's not like you just kind of appropriate these words and say these are for you. But do you see what, what I think we're being presented with is a pattern here. So God's promises can feel precarious, yet we might begin to see and glimpse how God is at work behind the scenes. So he is 
getting his people to where he wants them to be, remarkably, despite everything they've done. He has blessed them and is blessing them, and he is forming them as his precious people. And he is, unable, he is able to unfold this great story of forming a people, bringing them together, taking them to where he wants them to be, and blessing them, and that they might be a blessing to others. So you see, those two things, that God's promises can feel precarious, that, that actually he's at work behind the scenes. We need to hold together an intention. And that, those two things are the normal Christian life experience. Holding those two together is the normal Christian life experience. So when we come, as perhaps as we often do, to a verse like uh, Romans 8.28, it's one of those uh, perhaps familiar verses that um, we often uh, would turn to, a, a, an encouraging promise in the New Testament. Uh, for those who are in Jesus, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Here is a reminder of God's work in you and me through uh, his Son and his Spirit. And I think, do you see what we see from the, right at the start of the Bible in Genesis? You start to see how this helps us frame what it is to be a normal Christian. That this, uh, which is a great promise, it doesn't mean it's all lovely and easy. It doesn't mean it's all, you know, straightforward. Actually, it's holding those two things together. The promises will often feel precarious. It can often be a messy, complex weaving of things. But that God is at work behind the scenes. He is doing that in you and me as he forms us to be his people. And that, actually, I think is a greater and a deeper and a richer promise to hold on to. It is the normal Christian life experience. I guess the question I'd leave you with to take away is, can you see these things at work? Can, do you feel that precarious nature of God's promises where it feels like it could go wrong because of things that happen or because of things that we do? But that God is at work behind the scenes. Can you see those at work? Can you reflect on them this week? It is meant, I think, to, to give us confidence in God's ways. So when you find yourself saying, reading God's word and saying, thanks be to God, I'm not sure, I don't know. When you find yourself praying that, when you find yourself reflecting, am I, am I meant to be able to say, thanks be to God here? That's part of the normal Christian experience of seeing and gradually understanding the ways in which he is working for us. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we wrestle with this uh, unfolding story of Genesis, and many of us will be very aware of ways in which God's promises seem to be going wrong or have gone wrong. And we'll feel that precariousness and perhaps the presence of bullies in our own life of, of mistakes. And, and they will feel like the, the lens, Lord, through which we see things. And it's hard to, to, to see around that. And I pray that you would encourage us and give us greater confidence as we see this messy un story unfolding with Jacob and his family. And actually, you are at work behind the scenes. You are bringing 
your people, us your people, to where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.